following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So our context from the last time we were in John, our context has to do with we're being, we're being talked to by Jesus about abiding in him. He's telling us to abide in his love and keep his commands. Um, this can sound like a discourse that's just do what I say or else. But if we read further in the text, we, we see the heart of God is, is not so, not so cold and detached. It's very intimate. What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to be in God and have God be in us? This is, this is intimacy. This is joining. This is union. What does it mean to be one with God? God is showing us, I am one with the Father. I am one with my Father, and He's saying this, and this is so controversial at the time because it's like, what are you saying? You're saying you're God? People looked at Jesus like He was a liar, blasphemer, heretic, and then His claims, but then He is a friend of sinners and tax collectors? These things don't line up because if we're based on what we think God should look like, we might we might look at God who He actually is and say that's not God. Um, but He showed us who He was, was, and He urged us and He invited us into relationship with Him to be unified with Him in the same way He's unified with His Father. And if God, if Jesus is unified with the Father, and we are unified with Him, and we're, we're we're unified through the Holy Spirit, and we all are unified together, glued together by His Spirit. And there is no separation. What does that really mean? I think that's the context that we're jumping into here. This is not just a person going to another person saying, hey, do what I say. As people, we can look at it like that. I know I can look at it like that and, and misread it sometimes and be like, okay, well, you know, someone when somebody comes to you and they just want you to do something because they said so, if you don't have proper context, sometimes it's hard to receive that. But we have God who has a big picture plan that his heart isn't necessarily to just control us. In fact, it's kind of, it's kind of the opposite. His, his part and his plan is to offer us choice out of love, but in, to invite us into relationship with him and a real love is not going to force you to do anything. A real love isn't not going to demand to be loved back, but it can be kind of like a paradox because you see Jesus's words. He says, um, you are my friends if you do what I command you. That's something that, that we can wrestle with a little bit. It's like, okay, well, does that mean God doesn't love me if I, if I don't do what he's commanded me to do? I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get a little deeper into that. Um, does God, did God love you before you loved him? Did God love you while you were in your sin, while you were dead in your trespasses? Did God call you friend before you were his friend? 
we're given a few things to think about. Um, Jesus' command to us is simple. He calls for supernatural empowerment, though, to carry it out. We can't, we can't do what he's commanded us to do without him to do those things in us. That's the funny part, right? He's asking us to do things that only he can do, but then he's, he's walking forward into a life where then he's giving us himself to do those things in us. His spirit is going to be the thing to carry those things out. But if you just get, if you just zoom in on this and you just go, okay, this is what I have to do. I have to love people the way Jesus loved people. All right, let me go try it. I'm going to go try to lay my life down for somebody. But if you're doing that not in the spirit, if you're, if you're not doing that empowered by the Holy Spirit, you might get to that moment and be like, oh, no, it's okay. I don't know about all that. And in reality, it's easy to talk about these things because talking is easy. It's, it's a lot harder when you find yourself in that moment. You've talked a lot about that moment, and now you're in the moment, and you're like, oh, okay, this is actually really, really hard. <laughs> this is, loving is difficult. Loving is challenging. Actually loving somebody, um, whether or not that love is returned, is really challenging because that's real love. Um, so I have some questions. Just after going through that first bit of scripture, how is a friend different from a servant? You hear a lot of talk about being a servant of God. But God's called you a friend. How is being a friend different from being a servant? We had a, an excellent Bible study this morning. And I think one of my favorite points from that Bible study was... A servant is not obligated to be a friend, but a servant is obliged to serve. But a friend is not obligated to serve. However, a friend serves out of love. So you see the heart of Jesus that he was not obligated to serve us. He didn't have to lay his life down for us, but out of love for us, he chose to serve us. He chose to come in humble flesh and live life as as a humble servant. Not out of obligation because he was a slave, but out of his his will and the will of the Father. That his will was one with the will of the Father. So he's not only just showing us what a person would do for another person. He's showing us what God would do for his people. And that's a different kind of love, is it not? So if Jesus treats us as friends, how do we treat others? Do we only treat our friends like our friends? Do we treat people who aren't our friends like friends? And I'm just going to be real with you guys. I, I struggle with this. I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by this because... I know how to treat my friends like my friends. At least I think I do. Even then, I could be falling short, right? But when it comes to somebody who you're like, you don't respect me, you don't love me, you don't care about me, but I'm still called to treat you like a friend. I'm still called to love you. And we can wrestle there. But what I can say is on the other side of those things, following the action of that love, you find... That love is a transformative love. Because on the other side of that love, without the guarantee of return, 
on the other side of just, you know what, I'm going to love anyways. On the other side of that love is a hope for greater love. And we have that as a promise. It's not like a frou-frou, maybe, someday, kind of, I hope, maybe. It is guaranteed. It might not look like we think it should look like. That greater love might not come from that one person that we want it to come from, but it might come in, in a far, far greater way. And it's redemptive for everyone. We have to remember that God's heart is redemptive. It's restorative. It's forgiving. It's merciful. So what state were we in when God loved us? Were we, were, were we cleaned up? Were we, were we, did we kind of, okay, God, I'm sinful and now I'm just never going to sin again. Did he require us to do that before he loved us? He doesn't want us to sin. His heart is not for us to walk in destruction and death. But he loved us while we were still there. So what state do others need to be in before we love them? And that's a trick question. Do, do we have the right to qualify somebody for our love? Did Jesus cut anybody out from his love, like disqualified? And that's tough because even Judas, right? You could be like, of all people, Jesus had a right not to love. It'd probably be Judas, right? But, but in his moment of betrayal... Jesus addressed Judas as friend. Friend, have you come to betray me with a kiss? <laughs> it's not short-sighting the truth. It's not. It's not. Say, it's not being ignorant of the truth. He's addressing what's really happening. But as a friend, that's convicting. Because even in in our most rebellious moments, we have a God who will look at you and still call you friend. Now here's the tough part. Are we being a friend of God? He's called us something that we might not even see in ourselves. So he sees you in a way you don't even see yourself. Are we choosing to engage in the reality that he said is true? Just because you don't engage the reality doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you're forgiven, if you choose not to receive the reality that you're forgiven, you may walk this life as if you're unforgiven. You may, you, you'll, be, you'll be still stuck in slavery. But if you will we choose to engage in the reality that is the truth, that we are his friend, and let that love empower us to be his friend. I mean, Pastor was talking about it a few weeks ago. I need God's help to love God. I need God's help to love others. But if he's the one loving God through me and he's the one loving others through me, there is no me. It is only Christ who lives in me. Man, that's good news. So we'll walk through this just just text by text and we have some accompanying passages here. Um, John fifteen twelve says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how did Jesus show his love for us? Anybody? He died for us. He laid down his life for us. 
Why would someone do that? Did he only die for us? What happened on the third day? He rose from the dead and did he say he was going to do this? So he he not only did these things, he did everything he said he was going to do. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's invited us into a relationship with him to where we could be filled with his spirit, his very his very being, to live within us, to make us the temple of the Holy Spirit, to completely fulfill the system that no person in their own strength could fulfill for thousands of years, saying it is finished, becoming a curse so that we could be set free from a curse, and setting us up so that we could we could be indwelt by him so he could live through us. That's a that's a common theme. I, I, won't, I want you guys to really, really think about what that means. What does it mean for God to live his life through us? It doesn't mean, oh, not me and him. What does it mean to, to be completely merged with him, unified with him? When, you're, when your will and his will are the same will. Because if you're, if you're born from God, is God going to give birth to something that has a will opposed to his will? Is God going to give birth to something bad? But that doesn't mean we don't have a choice, right? So in his goodness, he's going he's gonna to continue to give us the choice. And, and, and real, real unconditional love is going to say, this is, this is what's best for you, but you still have a choice. I want I want a relationship with you, but you don't. You I'm not going to force you to do it. John fifteen thirteen says, "Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends." Jesus also said in John ten seventeen to eighteen, "For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me." But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we know that Jesus didn't begrudgingly lay his life down for us. He also was not forced to do it. He, he did it of his own accord. He has, he has the authority to take his life back up again because he's been given authority from the Father. We share that assurance. In the same way that Jesus gave his life willingly with the assurance that they can kill the body but they can't kill the spirit, we have the same assurance. So it's not like Jesus is commanding, giving us this command to love one another in the same way that he has loved us and say, lay your lives down for one another. It's not like he's just telling us that to like basically go on a suicide mission. It's, 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 a command with an assurance and a promise of a resurrection life. And you see this many times in the life of Paul where he will lay his life down, encounter something that most people would have been dead, like shipwrecked, stoned, like in prison. Like he went through some cer- certain things. Like when you get stoned, like that was an execution. That wasn't like a punishment. When you got stoned, they, they threw stones at you until you weren't moving anymore. <laughs> So Paul got stoned multiple times and through resurrection life, somehow he kept going. 
And then when the time came to go to Jerusalem to lay down his life, it wasn't something that someone forced him to do. He knew what he was doing. He knew that this was this is this is where I lay down my life. This is where I run my race. I choose to lay it down in the same way that Christ choose chose to lay down his life, and not just for my friends, but for my enemies, because these are the people who I know are going to be the ones to kill me. That's crazy. That that's crazy if you if you don't have a spiritual reality. Paul wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for the assurance of this is not the end. This is not where the journey ends. This is just the beginning of something new. Jesus loved us as friends before we were his friends. Jesus loved Judas as a friend before he, even though he betrayed him. We are told that we truly embody what it means to become a friend of God if we do as he commanded us being to love one another as he has loved us. This love chooses to serve others, not out of duty or obligation, but from a genuine love. Jesus laid down his life out of love and obedience to the Father. Jesus knows who he is as an eternal spirit man, and though they may kill the body, they'll never kill the very love that unifies the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love, and God is spirit. And if you are one with God, what are you? Are you flesh and bone? Or in this new spiritual life when you're born again, are you more akin to love and spirit? Where do, I, where do we identify with? And where we identify with often is going to be the reality that we reflect that we're walking in. How can I willingly love if I'm commanded to love? Is Jesus talking about conditional love here? Well, if you zoom in on just that one scripture, it can feel like that, right? You are you are my friend if you do what I commanded you to do. Okay, but if we look at the rest of scripture and the heart of God, and we see his heart through Jesus sending or God sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, we can see God loved us before we were his friends. His love isn't conditional based on whether or not we've accepted his love. But his command, we'll see later in scripture, we see his heart is, I want the best for you. It's best for you to love one another as I have loved you. My command is because one of the things thinking about through this message is, this is kind of like a conundrum. Unconditional love commands a response. The, the love that doesn't require anything in return actually commands a response. It doesn't require anything out of the will of the heart. But yet for some reason, when in the face of that love, you can choose to accept it or reject it. And these they're, they're radical. The accepting of it is radical and the rejecting of it is radical. But the thing is, the thing about rejecting an unconditional love and what makes unconditional love so powerful is that love keeps loving. <laughs> even when you reject it and and it and it breaks down our walls it's the only kind of love that can transform a rebel like this guy into someone who who can actually love God who can actually receive the fact that God is real and um and and actually want to think about others every now and then you know like <laughs> 
Um, in John fifteen fifteen, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Everything through the life of Jesus, all that he was heard, he has heard from his father has been made known to us. Jesus loves us as friends before we reciprocate. We are urged to abide and emulate that love to be his friend as well. Isn't it beautiful that God first loved us? How do we carry forth his love? Do we offer others, do we love others as friends before they reciprocate? And I don't know about y'all. I'm very challenged by that. Because in my own internal dialogue, there's a lot of, but I don't want to. But it's hard. I know I'm going to get hurt. And I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm afraid of putting myself in a position where I know that something I care really deeply about might be looked at as small or insignificant or thrown away. And that hurts. And nowhere does Jesus say that that doesn't hurt. Nowhere do we do we see Jesus... Jesus called Judas friend, but I don't think for a second it didn't hurt. You can love someone and still be hurt and still love them. I think that's the difference in a sacrificial love with based in a faith in Jesus than the love the world gives. Because the love the world gives says, man, they're not healthy for you. Cut them off. And what commitment says, and the way that God committed to us, I think there's a reason why marriage is used as an illustration, is that if God is willing to commit to us, even while we're unfaithful, it's not qualifying our faith, like his commitment is not qualified by our faithfulness. If if our commitment to something was qualified by another person's faithfulness, commitment would never last. Ever. Think about that. That's why in the world there's this idea of like, well, if I'm gonna be with somebody, I gotta, you know, I gotta see what it feels like first. I gotta live with them, right? I gotta, you know, see what it's like. Um, but then that get, that get, you have a safety net of if something goes wrong, then I'm out. And if we condition our worldview to be, if something goes wrong, then I'm out. That's that's the opposite kind of love as what Jesus is showing for us here of saying, something's going to go wrong, but I'm not out. I'm in. And I know something's going to go wrong. I know things are going to go wrong. And I'm still in. True unconditional love is more than a feeling. It is a decision to honor another for better or for worse in beauty or in tragedy. A decision to honor. No matter whether or not you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not, He honored you. Think about that. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the person, 
you may have references of every other person in the world from a worldly perspective. When you don't accept somebody, what do they do? Nine times out of ten. Well, on to the next. Well, I guess you're not my friend. That's not God. God honors you as a person with free right, free choice, the choice to accept him or not, and loves you anyways. Can you imagine you say no to somebody and they still build you a house anyways? Can you imagine you spit in someone's face and they turn around and, and buy you a coffee? It's a different kind of love. Matthew 11:19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <gasps> Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So the thing about this kind of love is that it will go into some pretty dark places. Jesus was not the kind of light that was afraid of the darkness. Jesus was the light that went into the darkness to bring light to that place. And it's not this, I don't, you know, I don't get this picture of Jesus sitting among people and just like, I don't think he's just sitting at this table with tax collectors and sinners and just being like, all right, now that I have you all here, let me take this opportunity to correct every one of your flaws. There are many times throughout the gospel that if we looked at Jesus's ministry, we could be like, Jesus, that's not how you evangelize. Bro, you got to give him the gospel. But he was the gospel. He's a person. And he, the person that was willing to sit with them as they were is the person that actually can transform them. It's not that his word is not bringing forth fruit. But Jesus is living and walking out things that often it's much easier to just talk about and kind of keep a safe distance from. That's the hard part. And he encountered ridicule for it. He was willing to love us, even though that meant his reputation was was looked down upon. That's not what a rabbi would do in those ages. He wasn't trying to become the best like preacher and like like with the best reputation in the biggest church. Like if he wanted to do that, he'd be dressed in like this fancy garb. He'd be praying out in public so that everybody could hear him. Um, he'd be only he'd be giving to people only because it got him some credit. Um, that wasn't that wasn't Jesus. Jesus often did the things that were opposite to that culture, and showed us what it really meant to worship God in spirit and truth, and what it meant to actually live the word and not just read the word. He says, "You look for salvation in the scriptures, but God is right." <laughs> You're not willing to accept who the scripture points to. He was willing to spend time with us and love us. Jesus came and loved us with the love that would transform us. Jesus came and gave his life that we would receive his holiness as a gift. So Jesus gave something up so that we could receive his everything. He gave his everything but it wasn't it didn't just go into the nothing right his everything that he gave and that we could look at like he just lost his life on the cross no 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 he deposited his life for you to give to give his life to you to live through you and there's this kind of you hear it 
talked about. It's like, well, did God give his life for us or to glorify the Father? Just stepping aside out of a teaching mode and just going into, this is just a mirror with a kind of like a like a, a perspective. Why can't it be both? Why isn't God giving his life to his people, his creations, to live his life through them? Can that also be the most glorifying thing to the to to give glory to the Father. They can do the same thing at the same time. They can do both at the same time. In Luke 6, 40, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So we're getting another picture of what it is. is Jesus is not saying, I'm giving you my life, and you're going to be this... Uh, this hotshot rock star, and you're gonna, you know, surpass the the status of God and be, become your own, some surpass Yahweh and be your own kind of thing to set idol to set up and be worshipped like that. It's not about that. It's being image bearers. You didn't you didn't receive his image, or you didn't earn his image because you did all the holy things. Or because you you gave to enough people, or because you you did enough quiet times, or you read enough Bible, you receive His image because you believed the truth that Jesus is who He says He is. Now, it's not to say that it's not good to read the Bible and get acquainted with. I mean, you 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 can experience God through His Word, but the Word is a person. Not just pages, right? As born again believers, we are to become like Jesus, as He is the firstborn among many brethren. We are born of His Word. His Word is good seed, and good seed will bear good fruit. We don't have to try to be like Jesus, because His likeness is afforded to us by grace through faith as a gift. If you could try to become like Jesus, it wouldn't be grace. So there's this notion of like, I got to be more like Jesus. Like, well, or you could just receive his Jesusness as a gift. <laughs> and this is so that no one can boast. That's from Ephesians, Ephesians 2 8 and 9. By believing Jesus is the Son of God and receiving the truth of the gospel that he lived, died, and was resurrected to forgive the sin of the world and invite us into eternal life. We have been seeded with good seed and hope that God himself is faithful to bring to maturity. To abide in his truth is to believe with childlike faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And he will do everything he said he would do as his friend. He lives his life through us and his love is shown through us as his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. So if Jesus is in you, if his spirit is in you, where is heaven? And, and and can you bring that wherever you go? So do you have to... Hmm, are we going to go there? Is, is your death the doorway to heaven? Or is his death? That means there is a reality you can experience today. And I say experience is not the right word. There's a reality you can receive and believe with childlike faith today. And the tough thing about faith is you don't always experience it right away. The tough things, the tough thing about faith is you go, God said that, so it's true. 
I'm, I don't see it right now. I don't feel it right now. In fact, I feel a lot of the opposite stuff, but I still believe it's true because God said so. And he's a good God. When you sit, when you're willing to believe him, you're actually acknowledging, I believe God is actually good. Our, our, tr- our unwillingness to believe him comes from often, a, a, a unbelief can come from a place of, I don't know if God could be that good. Or I don't think God is that good. Or my experiences don't lend lend me an ability to believe that God is that good. But I urge you today to expand how good you're willing to believe God could be. If you think God could be this good, expand that. Just expand that today. Be willing to receive a even better. Because God is infinite. Could we ever quantify his love? All the time, God is good. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Y'all bringing out the gospel preacher. All right. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. When you hear fruit having to do with God and the Holy Spirit, what do you think? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why do these things abide? If we think of materialism as fruit, if we think of rewards as fruit, do those things abide? Do those things last? Love is forever. Peace is an eternal thing. Joy is an eternal thing. If we abide in these things... If our life is in the eternal things, where's our life? Can you experience peace today? Can you experience joy today? Is that a choice? And so here's the thing about feelings too. Feelings will go, yeah, but you don't feel joyful today. So maybe later. Well, you don't feel peace. You have that thing that's going on today. How can you be peaceful when you got to figure this thing out? In the same way... Can't who? <laughs> this is where I struggle, y'all. This is where I struggle, but this is good. It's all. It's very easy to externalize and and say, okay, I'm gonna love everybody else. I'm gonna try to love God. I'm gonna love everybody else, and I don't want to leave out. I don't want to leave out out you. I don't want to leave out like. Can you show yourself? Oftentimes, I find that. For me to forgive myself, to show myself the same level of grace, that it's so easy. Somebody brings to me a problem that they're struggling with. I'm like, man, it's okay. God still loves you. He loves you. And then when I struggle with something, I'm so critical of myself and hold myself as out of pride to a, to a, some what I view as a high standard, which is just a pride thing, that it's hard for me to forgive myself. It's hard for me to love myself the same way I know God loves me. God God could be in ministering to my spirit saying, you know, I still love you, right? And I'm like, but but you don't understand. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, God doesn't understand? Like, of course he understands. But I don't know why sometimes it's harder for me to accept that he's willing to be that good to me as he is. It's, it's easy to understand, man, God loves everyone. And then I'll be alone sometimes. I'll be like, I don't know. I don't know if that applies. all that applies to me. 
It's easy to talk about when it comes to other people, but I don't feel like it right now. But the thing about love and abiding in his love is that I can choose to just believe it's true even when I don't feel like it. So that's the exercise as of lately. I feel horrible. I feel miserable. I feel sad. I feel heavy. I feel depressed. But God loved me. God loves me. And, and, and he said, I, I, I have joy as my inheritance. I have peace as my inheritance. I have love as my inheritance. I have faithfulness. I have gentleness as my inheritance. And that's the truth. And I can rest in the truth knowing, okay, I don't feel it. That doesn't mean it's not true. Here's the thing, too. If you can't apply God's love to yourself, you'll have a really hard time applying it to other people. Because oftentimes how we treat other people is a reflection of how we treat ourselves. And I can just tell you from personal experience, the times where I'm way more frustrated with myself about measuring up. That's the thing, too. It's qualified by not things that God qualifies those things about. It's qualified by actions and falling short. So then I will, I'm, I'm upset with myself about those things, and then I will look at the next person who maybe just did what I just did and be like, oh, how dare they? But it's because I'm still mad at myself, right? Or I'm not having grace for myself. And it's like, okay, well now, if I can receive that grace... And know that that's, that's how God loves me. And then I, then I have no right to disqualify the person next to me of that love. But if I've disqualified myself from that love, well, I mean, you can, you can be darn tootin' and I'm going to ex- excuse that person from that love too. I'm not being a conduit of that love. I'm not letting it flow through me. It doesn't mean it's not coming to me, right? You can be coming to me and I could be stopping it at the gate. Because I don't want to. And it's hard. It might mean it's painful. But, but, we are given a command from Jesus to love one another, knowing that we don't need to fear punishment. If we fall short, then what's the purpose of the command? So, our frame of reference for commands often is based in the Old Testament, where it is here's the standard. And if you don't meet the standard, death. Right? That's that's our frame of reference. Well, that can be our frame of reference. It's been my frame of reference sometimes for what it means, what a command means. But in the New Testament, we're told we don't have to fear punishment. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear punishment. So what's the purpose of a command then? This is a new kind of command. It doesn't mean it's not a command. <laughs> But, what does Jesus say? Well, before we get to what Jesus says, in First in John four eighteen to 19, we're told there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So, we're then given in John 15:17 we're given a command from Jesus saying these things I command you 
so that you will love one another. Wait, so he's telling us the purpose for his command right there. So that you will love one another. It's not a it's not a do this or else. It's a do this because this is the result of doing this. If you love one another, if you love as I have loved you, you will love one another. This is be- the best thing for you. It doesn't have to be a fear of punishment thing because ask yourself this question. If you're given a command with an or else statement, what's your tendency to respond to that? If I tell you, just as a, as a person to person, if I tell you, hey, you better go grocery shopping or else you're going to go hungry. What's your what's your natural response to that? Is there an, a little bit of a resistance to that? Why is that? But if I but if I tell you, hey, I think it's best for you that you stock up because um, you know I want you to be healthy. I want you to eat well. I want you to take care of yourself. I love you. I want to see you doing well. So let's go together. Let me go. Let me go grocery shopping with you. In fact, I'll foot the bill. That's more along the lines of God's heart. You could say no, but what is saying no to that actually like when you in the context of it? Doesn't saying no to that feel a little bit more silly? One John. 4, 7 through 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For God, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this love, not the love, n- not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then if Jesus has sent his very being to live in us, what happens when people see him through you? Is God still unseen? And I'm not saying that just to contradict the word of God. I think this is this leads us to think about the words of Jesus. This leads us to think about, okay, how can God be seen? And even if he's not seen, can he be shown? True unconditional love commands a response. So if I love somebody with conditional love, like I love you until you don't deserve it anymore. That might also command a response, but that's not going to be a kind of love that ever offers the opportunity for transformation. Because it's going to stop short, maybe right of that moment where transformation could happen. Oftentimes that transformation is going to happen at the moment where that grace comes in. If I stop right where that grace is needed, I've just stopped the transformation. 
Does that make sense? Unconditional love will move you. So there were there were times in my life where God loved me, and I was I, w- I was moving in another direction. But the interesting thing about running is oftentimes when you get to where you're going, you just run into the same thing. So you can run and run and run, but at the end of that run, you're presented with what you ran from. So at that point, we are not. We can also have the opportunity to be moved in the other direction of, okay, let me let love move me in the direction of love. Unconditionally loving will move others. Now you could you could love someone, you could really put your heart and soul into it, and that person might not receive it the way you think they should have. But what I what I want to tell you today is that doesn't mean it didn't move them, and that doesn't mean that God isn't going to continue to move them in a way that's far greater than you could do on your own effort. It's a continuous thing. God doesn't stop loving. He's always he always did love, he always is loving, he always gonna love. So here's another thing about real love is that it overflows in abundance. And that makes me think about fruit that remains. Love isn't something that we need to hoard because it's not like there's a shortage of it. In God, there is no shortage of love. In Jesus Christ, there's not going to be a shortage of love. So that doesn't mean, man, I got love today, and I haven't been loved in a while, so I'm just going to, all for me, none for you. We don't have to hug it to our chest and and keep away because I might not get more love. That's another declaration on God's character, right? Like It's like the wicked uh, servant saying, you gave me one talent, let me bury it and protect it because I don't know if I'm going to ever get any or, more. Make a call on God's character that saying, I know I'm going to get more. I know I'm going to be poured into over and over and over and over again and I'm going to have more than I can hold on to, so I better get, give some of this love away. If I can have the worship team come up. So what are some things that require the Holy Spirit in terms of godly love? Is it possible for a person to love unconditionally without the Holy Spirit? Like, I mean, truly, without ulterior motives. And and here's the thing, too. Here's the thing, too, and I'm guilty of it. It's possible to love somebody with the ulterior motive of I need to, I need to, again, this is not to talk against doing this, but it's like, if your, if your motive is I'm going to love somebody to that person so that I can, uh, so that I can make Christianity look good and give the gospel to them and then I can have my service for the day. That I did, I did my good boy job for the day. If that's the motivation behind giving the gospel, it might not be the right motivation. It's not to say don't give the gospel. God will give you opportunities to share share your testimony to give the gospel. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Seek out those opportunities. Absolutely, one hundred percent. 
but you don't have to force them to happen. You don't also have to condition your love with kind of tacking something on of like, oh man, okay, I gotta, I gotta add this thing to it. And, and it can, it can actually end up muddying it up the love because it can, it can add a condition to that love. Are we able to love sacrificially without the Holy Spirit? Would we be able to give ourselves, are we able to love our enemies without the Holy Spirit? So, there's two people I could be talking to this morning. The believer, who I could be talking to, and I hope this is speaking life to your spirit, and I hope this is an encouragement and a word from God of, God God calls you friend. God has called you his friend. God has loved you as a friend. God sees you as a friend even when you don't see yourself as a friend. Even when you don't feel worthy of, of being a friend of God, he's calling you he's calling you as a friend. The other person I could be talking to is somebody who some of this stuff sounds foreign to. Um maybe you know who God is, maybe you don't know who God is. Maybe there are ideas of who God has, who God is and who God could be. And maybe the idea of being a friend with God as a person is radical because, well, if God is all powerful, all, all knowing, all seeing, why would he want to be a friend with me? If he knew what I did, why would he want to be a friend of me? I was there for a while, y'all. Like when I knew God was real, when I first, when God first showed himself to me, like, and it was like, okay, God is real. Jesus is real. And if he knew who I am, he's definitely not happy with me. I stayed there way too long, y'all. And the truth is, what he did on the cross for you was to make you right with him so that you could actually identify with the fact that you're forgiven. And when you receive that forgiveness, that's going to invite transformation and healing into your life. Because I tell you what, I wouldn't be able to have forgiven my father in my life for for not being there if it wasn't God saying you're forgiven and you're using this as a crutch. So receive receive the fact that you're forgiven, but then there's some healing that's happening that says that you have some crutches that are based on unforgiveness. You have uh you have some victim victim mentality that's that's based in being hurt. And until until you realize you're forgiven, it's going to be very, very hard to forgive. And just so I'm transparent with y'all, it is a constant struggle. But just because I don't feel experientially what the truth is doesn't make the truth any less true. If I don't feel forgiven, it doesn't mean I'm not forgiven. If I don't feel clean, it doesn't mean I'm not clean. It's not because I made myself clean. It's because God made me clean. So to somebody who doesn't know God, the invitation is you can know him today. You can have a relationship with him today. And you don't have to clean yourself up to know him. You don't have to make yourself clean to know him. He's called you to come as you are. He's willing to, to be your friend right now even while you weren't a friend of him. 
And that love will be the thing that transforms you to be a friend of God. And and you can be born from heaven and, and live a heavenly spiritual life. And when I say heavenly, I don't mean everything in your life is going to look like sunshine and rainbows and daisies and it's it's all going to experience like that. But what I what I will say is that the hope actually has a promise of a manifestation. The hope actually has a promise of a reality. It's not just somewhere, someday out there far, far, far away. It's glory to glory. The next glory could be today. The next glory could be tomorrow. The next glory could be 20 years from now. The next glory could be thousands of years from now. But in God, we're we're promised glory to glory in him. And he said it, so it's true. Did you know you're a friend of God? Um, just want to close with you all in prayer. I thank you guys for being here. Um, thank you for being my friends. Thank you that when I first came to this church, people who I didn't know at all treated me like a friend. Looking at you, Jerry. So thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for family. Thank you for our friendship with you. Thank you for revealing to us the heart of the Father. And because you've revealed to us what the Master is doing, you've you've shown us that you view us as a friend. You wouldn't reveal your heart to us if we weren't your friends. But you've also commanded us to do as you com- do to love each other. That we are your friends if if we do as you have commanded us to do. Your love commands us to love one another. So Lord, help us to receive that as the truth, to abide in that as the truth, because you said it's the truth, and you don't say things to control us as puppets, but you you say things because they're for for the best for us. You want the best for us. You're a good father. Lord, you love us even before we loved you. Lord, help us to love you and help us to love others. And we thank you for this fellowship and the opportunity to gather in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You don't say things to control us as puppets, but you you say things because they're for for the best for us. You want the best for us. You're a good father. Lord, you love us even before we loved you. Lord, help us to love you and help us to love others. And we thank you for this fellowship and the opportunity to gather in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.